Talk Radio. August 27th, 2020. We are on day 68 and counting until election 2020 on November 3rd. I am your host, Scott Fullerton, and I'll be joined in just a little while by my Tuesday and Thursday co-host, musician, internet radio producer, Brandon Carmody. Tonight is the final night of the Republican National Convention. President Trump will accept his renomination for the Republican Party candidate, for the U.S. presidency for the first time on White House grounds. So we have that to look forward to in a little bit. So, yes, we are on the last day of the Republican uh, National Convention. If you have any thoughts, you can give us a call, 347-989-0126. Again, 347-989-0126. Feel free to call in. And give your opinion. We'd always like to talk to you on the air. So last night was the land of heroes. As you remember, they're kind of doing this like a uh, like a Muppet movie or something. There was the land of this and the land of that. Last night was the land of heroes. Tonight is the land of greatness or something. Yeah, because Trump is speaking. So land of greatness tonight. Um, So it's going to be um, on in just a little bit here. Last night, we only had one live speaker, Vice uh, President-elect or Vice President uh, nominee Mike Pence, who accepted the nomination again uh, for vice presidency. He was the only live speaker in the entire event. And mind you, they're doing two-and-a-half-hour events as opposed to the two-hour events the Democrats did last week. So, yeah, two-and-a-half-hour event for their thing. is Mike Pence was the only live speaker last night, so it made it run a little long, felt like it was a little long. But overall, was not – it is what it is. I mean, it's been uh, three days of mayhem, and tonight will be no different. Right, Brandon? Good evening, Scott and listeners. Um, well, it's dark dystopian mayhem is what it is. Pretty much, right? It's depressing. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's uh, <laughs> right. It just drives me up a tree. Let's be real. Let's be real. It's terrifying. I do not understand how people are so hoodwinked. I mean, these Trump people amaze me daily, but how they can believe where he's saying. If Joe Biden becomes president, you're going to have things happening like Milwaukee and like this and like that. It's like, dude, it's happening now on your watch. They don't have to wait till another three months till Biden goes in. What are you talking about? You think you would be embarrassed to point all these things out that's happening on your watch? 
So they're making it the big doom and gloom that's going to happen when they're forgetting that their house is on fire right now themselves. So a little amusing to me. What's on uh, your big game plan for the night? What's been hitting your hot button? Did you watch anything the last couple nights or just the media? Um, uh, so you, so the listeners don't know this because we said this on another show, but you said on Tuesday that you you are watching the Republican National Convention so that your listeners don't. And by the way, there you thank go. You. <laughs> yes, thank I am doing that. it so you don't have to, <laughs> including you, Brandon. I will. I am uh, putting my big boy pants on and strapping myself to the chair so I can't get away and. Uh, I'm ruining the environment, but I've created a great new copy getting me through it, so we're okay. I will I will give a quick opening statement, though. Like I said, um, I am, first of all, having actual dreams and nightmares that show me in those dreams and visions um, a Trump second term, unfortunately. Oh, oh, wait a second. Am I on mute or can you hear me? No, I can hear you. You're good. Um, so in, in that darkly envision that I'm having of a second term, so I've been thinking about this, the lack of there being an agenda, uh, you know, a platform for the Republican National Convention, I realize what it's going to be. It's going to be what it is all along, unhinged, unleashed. And that's why I think that the stakes couldn't be even more frightening than we've possibly imagined, Scott. Um, right. If I could just li- literally, I mean, do we even need to go down memory road to remind folks of everything that's happened? You know, put the children of asylum seekers in cages, destroyed our relationship with our strongest allies, popped the Obama economic bubble, millions unemployed, a virus out of control. Shall we go on, right? Exactly. No, it's uh <clears throat> I don't. I don't think he could turn it around. And if he did turn, I mean, at what price, too? I mean, let's say we give him all this great economy and everything that wasn't just a continuation of what was left to him. Let's say that he did this all on his own. Um, is the price of the economy worth what he's done to our American people? Worth to be the laughing stock of the rest of the free world? Worth that he pulled out of climate agreements with Paris, a climate accord with every other civilized country. Worth that he pulled out of an Iran nuclear deal, so we're still worrying about that kind of thing. What is the price of quote-unquote success, and especially when you look at the success, went to primarily the top 10 to 25% of the earners in the country? It's not trickling down. And just to prove that point, how well has he made the economy for all these people these last three years? He says he made the greatest economy in our history. How bad is that that the American people are going broke and didn't have enough money with a month out of work or two months out of work? If you're in the greatest economy, how could we be broke all of a sudden? How can these people be uh, scrambling at food banks if we had the greatest economy and only were shut down for a lot of states weren't even shut down, but the most were shot shut down for like two months, right? So, I mean, there's just no credibility to any of the arguments, but people believe him. I just don't understand it. They're not, not representing any of that, Scott. They're they're not represent. Okay, here here's the big things that I see not being represented at all in the RNC. First of all, the pandemic. 
Okay, so we're in a global pandemic. I think we're at 179,000 deceased American souls, which is a freaking tragedy. It is such an unbelievable tragedy that the failure of the response to this pandemic has led us to nearly 180,000 dead. And by the way, by election day, they're now calling for, we'll possibly see 200,000 or more. The right. economic popped to bubble. So the virus has almost been unpresent at the event. And by the way, the president is due to speak tonight. And on my way, I just raced in the door, by the way, if I sound out of breath, sorry folks, but uh, listen to this headline. I'm scrolling, give me one second. The White House is expecting 1,000 to 1,500 people at President Trump's speech tonight. 1,000 to 1,500 people to attend his acceptance speech tonight. And guess what? They probably won't be wearing masks. Well, they weren't last night. That was one of the things that the commentators were saying last night at um, the Vice President Pence's speech is you saw three people in the crowd wearing masks. They were distanced, not a full six feet, but I'll give them that they were a little bit distanced, probably four feet or so. So that's an attempt, I guess. But nobody was very masked. But at the end of it, everybody crowded the the front fence to shake his hand, and he went up to them and shook all their hands. And they had 80-year-old veterans there on walkers up with them amongst all these people. That nobody and only the people backstage were the ones that were pre-tested for COVID. So they have all these people, all these kids with these veterans out there at the event last night with no masks being worn whatsoever, rushing the stage with no social distancing. During the speech, yeah, maybe four feet apart, good for them. But afterwards, no, and these guys stormed the stage where all these veterans were. Um, for for a handshake with the president or vice president. So, and Very dangerous. it was another. Very dangerous. Right. And it was another part of the lies that he's saying. He said that the reason all these events happened in the White House today and two days ago was because the president didn't have the time or didn't want to do the taxpayer expense to travel all around the country, right? Even though he did it all during Biden's time. But then somehow he magically showed up last night to where Pence was at. Wasn't at the White House. So it wasn't he had to stay at the White House for anything. So it's just uh, hypocrisy all the way around. Can we also highlight, let's take it it a step further. Hypocrisy is hypocrisy. If I understood the punditry correctly, and, you know, there's some very smart minds in there. I actually, to be honest, I waited till the speeches were over. And I tuned in to hear the punditry because I wanted to hear them tear it apart. Here's some things. They believe several laws are being broken, openly being broken. So you had Secretary Mike Pompeo give a speech from Israel, which is uh, literally under immediate investigation in the Senate or in the House, I believe, because there's extreme legal questions about that. But also Kellyanne Conway, the use of the White House, which is federal property, There's all types of legal questions about what laws have been broken during the four days of the RNC. Do you agree with that? Does that uh, jive with you? No, it's exactly right. They're literally breaking the law in plain sight, in plain sight, on television. Right. At the very least, they're bending it into a pretzel. But that's why they're investigating to see if the law was actually broken, because you are not supposed to have use any federal place for political purposes, for campaigning purposes. And so the event at, but as always, 
the president's exempt for this, right? So the president could like tonight with him being out there doing this thing, for him it's not against the law because the president is exempt, Kellyanne Conway, for Mike Pompeo, for even the Marine guards that opened the door for him the other day to do that swearing in ceremony, which two of the people did not know was going to be for the convention. Uh, two of the people being sworn in did not know the president was going to do it, did not know it was going to be televised at the Republican National Convention. Those things are illegal. So, yeah, it's a, oh, look who's there. Tulsi Gabbard is in the White House right now. Very, very interesting. We talked about her the other day, remember? What do we know about that? What do we know about uh, Tulsi Gabbard being... uh, I, don't, I just have the TV speaker? on mute in front of me right now, and they sh- they're showing the crowd pouring into the front lawn of the White House there. And Tulsi Gabbard is among the invited guests. She's mingling with a couple of the Republican senators there. Very, very interesting. So I don't know what she's so doing interesting there. Because when we do a quick Google search, Scott, we come up with headlines like, can I quote, The Hill Gabbard says she was not invited to participate in any way in Democratic convention. Um, let's see here. Essence. Tulsi Gabbard seems surprised she was not invited to DNC after years of critical Fox News appearances. So that is a strange But Did she flip? Did they flip her? <laughs> or is she just there for the well, optics? She has been flipped for a long time, according to everyone else. So, yeah, we talked about it on the show last week, I believe, that, yeah, she was all bent out of shape, that she wasn't invited Because the norms, I mean, the Democrat broke a couple norms. The norm of the Democratic convention and most conventions are anyone that gets any delegates are invited to speak, right? And so she actually got two delegates from Puerto Rico, um, uh, Tulsi Gabbard did. So technically, according to years past, she would be invited to speak at the convention. She was not invited to speak at the Democratic convention because of her past news analysis on Fox for a lot of the things she said against the party for her uh, cozying up to the, to the foreign leader guy. Um, There's lots of reasons why she wasn't invited, but that was against the norm as well. I mean, I gotta, I gotta say when we're trying to speak truth that usually anyone that has any delegates is invited to speak. She did get two delegates from Puerto Rico, but yeah, so all of a sudden she just happened to show up tonight at the Republican National Convention. That is not a – that's going to play somehow. I think – I don't know how it's going to play, but it's going to play somehow. Whether she's going to be sneakily pulled up, maybe she'll switch parties as a big plot twist in the middle of this. Who knows? Very, very interesting. Yeah. We'll see if she carries any weight behind it. Uh, can I? I've got something real quick on Vice President Pence's speech. By the way, remember how we played bingo on Tuesday? Liar Palooza bingo. Well, right. If you do a, just a, you guys, if you go on the transcript of Pence's speech and just do yourselves a favor, do a Control F. Biden is mentioned 24 times in Mike Pence's speech. I'm just going to give you a throw a couple nuggets your way here. Instead, Democrats spent four days attacking America. Joe Biden said we were living through a season of American darkness. But as President Trump said, where Joe Biden sees American darkness, we see American greatness. 
Okay, skip ahead to another one of the control F. It's no wonder Bob Gates, Secretary of Defense under the Obama-Biden administration, said Joe Biden has been wrong on nearly every major foreign policy and national security issue over the past four decades. So I think I think I'm getting a clear picture from this, Scott. They're they have painted their enemy. They've clearly painted their target as their opposition candidate, Joe Biden. But uh, the majority of the speech uh, out of Pence and, and the others, as we've seen, appears to paint this false narrative, this dystopian vision of the dark, pardon my French, the dark shit that will happen under our President Biden when it's happening on television every night under the Obama administration. Kenosha, Portland, everything else, the virus, they're literally like tr- trying to be like, look over there. Literally, look over there. Right. It's him, it, but it's them. It's them. <laughs> no, it's the Trump administration. That's exactly what I said earlier. That you're right. Everything they're saying is going to happen when Trump, when uh, Pen, uh, I can't speak, when Biden takes office in six months. They say all this stuff will happen when it's happening now in their administration, and the people aren't seeing that, and it pretty much cracks me up. Um. Yeah, last night, I mean, like I said, uh, Pence was the only live person speaking. He did attack Biden a few times, so I could see where he got all his references for sure. The rest of the speeches last night, I wasn't overly impressed with. Um, That Madison Cawthorn guy is getting a lot of props. I'm still on the fence on him. He is the young 25-year-old that's probably going to win a he is from uh, North Carolina's 11th district. Um, Trump actually endorsed his opponent, and this 25-year-old kid won the seat. And now Trump and the entire party is behind him because he does have a good story. He's a good-looking young man. He was paralyzed in an auto accident when he was 18. He's 25 now. Says all the Republican talking points he wanted to say. But, uh, yeah, so he's probably going to be elected because it's a very Republican district where he's from. He's probably going to be the very youngest person ever elected to the House of Representatives. I thought he spoke well. He misspoke once, but I will give him that. He said that uh, he said our younger people are taking some politics that a lot of the people in history were very young when they started. He made a mistake and said that, uh, uh, who was it, Madison maybe? I think it was Madison. He said that... Um, Madison was only 25 when he signed the Declaration of Independence. He actually never signed the Declaration of Independence. He signed the Constitution, but I understood he was going with it. Um, He did make a little play for sympathy. He's the one that's been in the wheelchair. I talked about him once before um, because of his accident. He, He did have his braces on, and at the end of his speech, he had two guys come out and help him stand up on his walker. So he stood up at the very end. And he was getting praise all over for doing that. It's like, good on you, man, for doing it. I, I, I would never wish you well, and I'm glad you're doing better. We hope that uh, the guy they shot seven times in the back could eventually do that as well. But um, I don't know. I thought that he was the only decent speaker of anyone last night at all. So uh, now I you, have, I you, have a, a, an update on that, by the way. So Jacob Blake, who is the the victim in that that case who was shot seven times in the back. Uh, It was revealed by his family today that he is currently handcuffed to that bed. Now, now before we let the outrage sink in and say, that's ridiculous. He's, you know, the news has already come out that he's been paralyzed from the shooting. 
that is kind of procedure for someone who's under arrest. But at the same time, it's like, my God, like they've already confirmed he is paralyzed unless they do some miracle. He's not going anywhere. But he's currently right. handcuffed to the bed, Scott. He is in handcuffs. Yeah, I got to say, I, I don't like that at all. Um, I understand it's procedure. Unless someone comes in and carries them out, which is a possibility, I guess. Um, it's it's a little overkill as far as I'm concerned. So, yeah, that's very interesting. Well, I know they wouldn't even let his mom talk to him the first day because he was, quote, unquote, under arrest when everything was going on. They had to get special dispensation for her to even talk to him. So it was it's, they're doing everything by the book, by the book, by the book, which is not necessarily the best book to be reading right now. So we'll see what happens. I'm still taking you, my time uh, on it. I mean, remember, I got yeah. in a little controversy for saying that I was – Worried that they didn't take take him down to his knees or something beforehand. Um, I thought they let him get. They shouldn't have ever let him get to where he was in the car. So I'm I'm not putting it. He should never have been shot. But I also am not putting him out to be the innocent victim in this either. I, re- I refuse to do that. Uh, the innocent victim of the arrest. He's, he's innocent about the the shooting, for sure. But until everything comes comes out, I think uh, we can't make too many assumptions. We'll, 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 it's time for all that to play out later on. All we know and is that Kenosha, Kenosha is shot just, uh, Kenosha is a mess right now, as as you probably have seen. Right. Kenosha is a mess, and we have a new shooter under arrest for two homicides and an attempted homicide who is 17. And there is confirmed details now that he attended and was in the front row at a Trump rally in January. Kellyanne Conway has vehemently tried to distance themselves from that, from any possibility that this shooter in Wisconsin is a Trump supporter. But they can't distance themselves from that. That appears to be the reality. Right. No, it is. He was he was uh, show. He was like in the second row or something at that rally in January. So there is no denying it. He has pro-Trump stuff all over his social media. The interesting thing I heard tonight, and like I said, this is just something I read, so I haven't confirmed it yet, but his mom was supposedly there in her own little camo outfit and drove him to there and from there after he shot and killed those two people and drove him back home. So whether that is true, that'll be interesting because I think she should be charged an accessory if she did. That's just what the the reporting is. I can't verify the reporting right now. So I just want to say that that story is out there, that his mom drove him to this event and drove him home. Don't know the truth of that or not. But if she did, she should be charged with an accessory for driving him home afterwards, even if she didn't know, I guess. But I don't know. We'll see what happens with that. Um, yeah, he was uh, – this guy was a a huge – pro-police person. There's nothing wrong with that. Big pro-gun person. Nothing necessarily wrong with that. But at 17-year-old taking an AK-47 or AK-14 to a known hot spot, that's not the brightest bulb in the bunch. A lot of things should not have been done there. So we'll see I what have, happens. Um, I, I, I've told you before, and I have some problematic issues with this, but 
I do have a couple of GOP operatives that are in contact with me. Sorry to have to <laughs> reveal that on the air. Like, I'm not a traitor. I swear. I swear. It's good to do some opposition research and to hear from the other side, right? Of course. But, uh, of course. But one of, one of the things that they're practically screaming at me to say on air right now, which I feel like it's a talking point, but there is a YouTube video, just to be clear. You folks can literally go check this out for yourself. There, uh, the other, the opposition, the conservative viewpoint is that he was under attack, and that the shooting is self-defense. Uh, Alex Jones, which I know you've already decried as a wackadoodle who runs Infowars, has a whole piece right. on there today about it being self-defense, and you can see the exact moment in the video. Here's what I, here's my whole thing about it. It's a pending case. He's under a double murder indictment. Let the process play out. Let the prosecution make its case. Let the defense make its case. Let justice take hold before any of us rush into judgment. And based off a YouTube video that doesn't even show the whole encounter and is a dark, blurry video, we can't conclude those facts. It's not our job as the public or even the media to say, oh, it was clear self-defense or it was clear murder. That's what the jury is for. So we're at the point where he is under arrest. He has rights. Let him make his argument and face the charges. But the bottom line is that uh, if the charges stick, we're talking about a life sentence, a minimum life sentence for him. Right. No, exactly right. And what you said, I mean, we have to let that go both ways too, right? If, we, if we're going to say that about this kid, then we have to say it about the police officer that shot him as well, right? Because there's video fair. on that as well. Totally we didn't fair. see what happened before there. So it's like we have to say, did the police officer think he was reaching for a knife that was supposedly down there? We don't know that yet. So we have to give both sides, I guess, the same respect. But uh, no, there's no reason anyone should be shot. That's the whole problem. No one should be having a gun. 17-year-old kid should not be having walking around the middle of the street with an AK-47. A police officer should not have to shoot someone in the back seven times. That's ridiculous. So as far as all the facts coming out, we definitely need to let all the facts come out on both sides. But uh, I think we can agree that there is senseless shooting of black people in America, and seven shots in the back is one of those senseless shootings. I think we would also agree that a 17-year-old should not be carrying an AK-47 in the middle of the street of a protest. So, uh, I, I yeah. don't think that's even legal. I'm not even sure what he's doing brandishing that weapon. I I haven't checked it. I did 17 is not jiving with me as being legal for that weapon. It's Midwest. I don't know. You can get married at 14 in some of these states. So I honestly yeah, have okay, no idea fair. what totally the law fair. is. Totally fair. So <laughs> I don't know. It's possible he could. It's possible he couldn't. I, I won't even. I haven't even looked that up yet, to be honest with you. But you're right. The possibility, but I haven't paid attention to that yet. So, yeah, it's going to be uh, – I have heard that. I heard that supposedly someone whacked this kid with a skateboard or something or did something and that this was a self-defense thing. I don't know what it is. Let it, we'll see what it happens with it. But he now, shot and killed Portland, two people. That's the end result. The ACLU has filed new charges in Portland, by the way. Um, let's see if I can just give you the headline here. The ACLU filed a lawsuit Wednesday alleging agents sent by President Donald Trump to protect a federal courthouse targeted by Black Lives Matter protesters used excessive force and illegal detentions to rob protesters of their freedom of speech assembly. 
The lawsuit also alleges that the director of U.S. Department of Homeland Security, Chad Wolf, did not have the authority to send the 100 agents to Portland because he was improperly appointed. So the ACLU, you know, of course, always involved in major altercations of this type, has filed their lawsuit, and then it has its due process to go through. But that was filed yesterday, just to make people aware. Interesting. Okay. Very good. Very, very good. Uh, so anyway, so anything, I don't think we have anything left last on last night's convention. Tonight, of course, is the final night. President Trump will speak. Last year, he set a record and spoke for 115 minutes, the longest uh, nominating acceptance speech ever. So even I may not have that kind of patience. I am trying to watch this so you don't have to, but I don't know if I could hang through an hour and 15 minutes of him plus. We'll see what happens. Also, uh, Ben Carson will be on. Mitch McConnell will be on. Senator Tom Cotton, which I can't stand, will be on. Kevin McCarthy will be on. Ivanka will be on. I felt so sad for Laura Trump last night. She was the only Trump on last night. Usually there's three to four a night, and she was all by herself last night. Tonight there's Ivanka and uh, Donald himself on tonight. And I think Rudy's going to be on tonight. That'll be interesting. And we'll see if, uh, oh, Franklin Graham, of course, we have to have uh, the Christian guy on. And who else? I don't know. That's about it. It's going to be an interesting night. I don't know. Almost, I bet every, if it, almost every name almost every name you're throwing at me right now is, like, triggering, man. Every, almost every name you're throwing out right now rings as being traitors of democracy and traitors of this country. I, I, don't, I don't want to include Laura Trump with that. I can actually exclude Laura Trump. But everyone else that you named, especially Mitch McConnell um, and all these people, rank up there with literally having hijacked this country – from its its norms and its freedoms. I mean, right. vote them all out, you guys. Come on. How many times can we say it on air? Vote them all out. Exactly. Um, the last thing I will say about last night's real quick, I forgot this part. I was going through my notes here real quick. Remember we talked about the kind of whack job that Abby something or other that talked about her son that she expected that it's okay to racially profile her biracial son that she adopted instead of her white son. Well, I guess her speech last night was all about abortion. She's an ex-abortion person. Used to work for Planned Parenthood. Now she's against abortion and supposedly talks about she saw a ultrasound of someone performing an abortion. That's what changed her mind. Well, I guess they've been fact-checking her all day. And supposedly when this was supposed to have happened, there was no one that went through the abortion office that day, she said, in a lot that far along the pregnancy. So they're saying that she could be full of baloney as well. So we'll see what happens with that. Very interesting. Well, if the president is going to give his speech tonight, I'm just going to give a quick highlight here from Politico. This is the season finale of the Trump convention show, but don't hold your breath for a surprise ending. And let's see here. The difference that they're expecting between tonight and the 2015 campaign announcement is that Trump is no longer the outsider. This government and this political culture and the Republican Party are his. So the diminishing economy, the virus, um, everything that we've seen through the three and a half years, expect erasure, you guys. Expect total erasure of what's actually happened in the administration, all the fails. You talked about the 
trade, the failed trade war attempts with China, the fact that the world leaders of the world are literally on video laughing at us, laughing at the president, um, our, our loss on the world stage, the fact that Iran has been allowed to continue to accelerate nuclear weapons, for God's sake. I'll expect total erasure on all of that, expect a whitewashing, and expect him to come out there and be the law and order president and how he is beating the virus. What do you think? I think that's exactly right. I think that Pence did that a pretty good job of it last night, just trying to erase that anything ever went wrong in his presidency. They've done everything 100% right. I think he's going to try to cast that the same way tonight. There was a couple of great pre-buttles today, though. I don't know if you had a chance to see Kamala go on live and just tore him apart today. Um, Biden went on two news shows today, and she did a live press conference from a couple of blocks from the White House, Kamala Harris did, um, just eviscerating the failures of this Trump presidency. So they have done a pre-buttle on his turf tonight, which I like. Also, I guess there's a new video out from this guy named Bill Owens. Um, he's doing a pre-buttle. His son, William Ryan Owens, was killed, the very first person in the service killed on President Trump's watch. Trump sent him into Yemen with his Navy SEAL team from his dinner table to look important to everybody, according to Bill Owen guy. So it was kind of a blistering speech as well. So he's got some pre-battles going out tonight. MSNBC has his niece on, that Mary Trump who wrote that book. She's doing part of the live coverage tonight. So he's not going to get away with much. He's going to try to erase everything, but he's going to be fact-checked left, right, and center, I believe. I also have some quick uh, feedback to share with everyone. So I spoke with some military families, uh, including uh, I can't get into classified details, but I spoke with a military family of someone that just returned from a war zone and is now back on U.S. soil. And it's been made abundantly clear that because he is their commander in chief of all of the armed forces, that you do not question the president, you do not put any anti-Trump rhetoric on social media, and that there is this internal, within the military, this internal kind of racism and blind support of the president, whether or not the troops actually believe it or whether it's just part of the culture, you know, kind of like, oh, the, you know, everything he says. So isn't that kind of disturbing that you can't even have your independent viewpoint openly in the military that the culture expects you to back your commander in chief well that's always been the case so i can understand that they can't not that they can't do it personally but they uh they're not allowed to do anything on social media just like uh, a lot of corporations don't let you speak uh, ill of anybody or as or if you're part of the company culture they can fire you for that so it's that's not unusual I'm not overly shocked by that because he is the commander in chief and just like any other business or any other entity where you cannot um, disparage people on basically quote unquote, the company dime, if you have a company reputation, but they can do it personally. I mean, they can say it, they can say it to people. They can't do it on their social media. Kind of, I'm kind of okay with that. So what uh, what will we hear? We talked about this on our Tuesday show, but another four years. Aside from the fact that <laughs> having, I mean, for God's sakes, folks, do you need a do you need a reminder lesson that the Mueller report, you know, showed the 11 or 12 instances of obstruction of justice that didn't even stick, that didn't even prompt the impeachment. 
the uh, enticement of the president of Ukraine did prompt an impeachment in which only one Republican cast a guilty vote, and that was Romney, and that was only in one of the two charges. So I, I feel like they have taken all of that into account, and if they win a second term, they will take the training wheels off, you guys. The training wheels will be off, and you will see Cobra Commander will basically take off the helmet, and you will see the ugly within. The power grab will be frightening. I mean, I think there's no stated agenda because they don't want us to know how ugly and terrifying it is, Scott. Right. And I got to tell you, I told you I'm watching this thing on the television muted right now. And this 1,500 people are shoulder to shoulder, dude. And I'm not seeing any masks. These guys are packed in like sardines in this place. So this is very, very interesting to me that they're letting this happen. Um, well, if, if I was writing the... the script, I mean, Politico basically called it the Trump show finale. If I was writing the script, I would make the plot twist that the president gets COVID-19. I think that's the necessary plot twist to give the series right. some real depth. I think the president needs to get COVID-19, survive it, and then be able to go out there and say he was so wrong, just like all of his other people that went out there and said they were so wrong. I think that he needs a personal experience to really get it, dude. Right. I am saying maybe 5 to 10% of the people wearing masks, and that's about it. There are a couple of them out there. I will give them that. But, uh, are the they on the White House lawn, or where, where, where are they? Where are they gathered? They're on the White House South Lawn. So, right, uh, and it's, like I said, it's wall-to-wall people. The chairs are literally within six inches of each other. Um, people are, are shoulder-to-shoulder, and I only saw a few masks. So very, very uh, sad that they can't um, can't abide by their own government's policies and CDC recommendations. So very scary. Well, it should, it should never be in the venue. Not only it's the people's house, okay, it's the people's house, but never in political history has the White House been used in form of straight campaign rhetoric or for – partisan politics. That's where the president addresses the nation, times of war, declarations of famine, poverty. I mean, it is sacred ground. They're just trampling, Miss Scott. It's just trample, trample, trample. Yep, exactly. Um, Yeah, very crazy. All right, well, let's go off convention stuff and go to a couple other little stories I have here. Um, We know it's going to be an interesting next couple hours. Uh, I want to comment on something we talked about last week. We talked about um, Morse, uh, the Alex Morse, the mayor of Holyoke, Massachusetts. It was basically gaslit by this Democrat group at University of Amherst for having sex with kids. And it turns out there was kind of a, uh, a lie. They were just trying to get this more progressive Democrat reelected. Well, it looks like... Um, Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez's super PAC has now endorsed him and is helping this mayor of, Ho- of Holyoke try to get um, elected. She's going against a uh, Ways and Means chairman, Representative Richard O'Neill from the area. And so she is using her power and her clout to try to unseat the chairman. So it's getting a little bit of blowback in some cases and not quite so much for the people that are standing up for Alex Morris, who they feel have been wrongly kind of um, targeted in this thing. Have you heard anything about any of this? 
Well, I did. A, I, I haven't followed. So I guess I should have said at the top of the hour, it's yet another news dump day where the news is overwhelming and not to mention the hurricane pounding Louisiana and Texas. Uh, by the way, my thoughts and prayers are with all of them. That is a very frightening situation. I want to make sure that I extend those thoughts and prayers. Um, there are articles, if I just did a quick dive here, boston.com. Charlie Baker is throwing his support behind Richard Neal. Alex Morris is not surprised. The Intercept. Alex Morris has a second opponent, local media, and the Gazette. Holyoke Mayor Alex Morris is best bet to bring change to Washington. So there is there is quite a bit of media support, but he does have a uh, challenger there with Richard Neal. You're right. Yeah, Richard Neal is the incumbent as well. So, yeah, it's going to be tough to – Tough for that to happen. I mean, like I said, I don't know who's better a candidate for it. I honestly don't. I just know that he was kind of railroaded by this Democrat group at University of Massachusetts of uh, UMass for saying he supposedly had eight um, sex with his students, which he never did, and saying he was using grinder on campus, which he said he did, but everyone was 19 or above. The kid's 25 years old, so they were trying to say that. He was having sex with teenagers, yeah, 18- and 19-year-old teenagers and consenting sex. When right. you're a 25-year-old gay guy, that happens, right? And they're trying to use um, these personal slurs against this guy. So I don't know who's the better candidate. I just know I don't like the dirty tactics they were using against him. So that's my only kind of call on that. Oh, I missed the countdown. How, how many days till Election Day or D-Day? We're on day 68 and counting till the November 3rd election. So, uh, God, God help us. Yep. For real. Just about two months away. It's getting very, very close. Um, we're next Thursday will be September 3rd. So two months exactly from next Thursday or two months exactly from next Tuesday, depending on how you look at it. Um, it's going to be very, very, uh, interesting stuff. I it's haven't going seen to be any a, evidence that the post office situation has been cleaned up at all as far as their uh, their scandal. And uh, you got a very defiant postmaster general who did testify before Congress. Uh, a lot of the media pundits said he was just uh, egregiously ill-prepared. Did you get that impression that DeJoy was just extremely ill-prepared for that congressional event? I did. I didn't think he was well-prepared at all. Um Representative Katie, I always forget her last name, but Katie from California that really grills all these people that come in front of her committee. She's always so well prepared. And she got him. I mean, he couldn't even tell. He told the price of a first class stamp. He didn't know any other prices in the post office for a, po- for a postage stamp or uh, things like that. And just, he was very ill prepared. Now, he had a major, I, I, I said this maybe yesterday or Wednesday when you're on, I want to be careful that he had, he stuttered through his testimony. And I don't know if it was, if it's a learning disability or not. So I never want to make fun of someone if it's an actual learning disability. If it's because he was lying through his teeth, that's another thing. So I don't honestly know which it was, but he was very stumbly through his entire presentation is kind of it, it's either a stutter and, or a speech impediment that he has or he was woefully unprepared to even speak let alone I mean his talking points were unprepared I don't think he knew the stuff he needed to know but um, but his speaking was unprepared as well 
that could be learning disability. So I will give him the benefit of the doubt on that. I don't know, but it was very hard to watch it. That is, that is true. Um, Katie Porter is who you were referencing and just a couple of yeah. headlines uh-huh. again. I've done, I'm trying to do research like crazy, even on air. Rolling Stone rep Katie Porter exposes the dangerous ignorance of Postmaster General Lewis to Joy. And check this out. Boston Globe editorial board calls for DeJoy to resign. The Boston Globe editorial board is saying he needs to step down. Yeah, there's a lot of people that says he needs to step down, and, and he really should. I mean, he has possible conflicts of interest in some of his business holdings. There's a lot of reasons, his ineptness at these policies he's been trying to do. I mean, because he he makes it sound good. He's trying to make everything run on time. That he's trying, that's his big thing is, I just came in and tried to make everything run on time. Well, the testimony shows that means that if a truck was supposed to leave at eight o'clock in the morning, if that truck wasn't fully filled with the mail that was supposed to be delivered to the next person, he made the truck leave without being fully loaded. So that's why everything was being delayed. So there's a difference between running on time and running sloppily and not getting the work done, right? So he just is inept at the job. And Everyone the sad thing is he supposedly, yeah, he yeah. supposedly made his money in logistics, which is what the post office basically is, logistics. So it's sad that he, you would think he would be qualified to get something done there. But it obviously seems like it's a partisan deal. Well, it's also been pointed out that he's the first postmaster general in 20 years that had no prior postal experience. So this is uh, – I, I hate corporations and how they do it. So, you know, you, you hire within to promote people up to big jobs, but then occasionally they will hire an external candidate that has no experience within that particular company to come in and take a big job, even though they're not part of that company, don't know the culture, don't know the rules of engagement, whatever. That's the case here. This is clearly a political appointment. He was not from the post office world or the community. He's an external appointment and uh, it's got all kinds of complications and red herrings, man, red flag, red flag, red flag. Right. Exactly. Right. Um, I did say, want to make sure I got to something before we run out of time. I only have about 10 minutes left here. Uh, the one thing that does worry me a little bit is uh, the Democratic rep, um, House of Representatives Debbie Dingell from Michigan. Um, I kind of like her. She's done good in a lot of her hearings and stuff. She says that she is skeptical of the polling showing Joe Biden consistently ahead of Trump in her home state of Michigan. She said Democrats must work harder to avoid another Trump upset win. Four years ago, Dingell said that Trump could win the traditionally blue state, and he ended up winning it. And she is saying now that it's a similar warning that Michigan is not locked in for Biden. I think it's a very competitive race, Dingell told Fox News, of all people. I don't believe the polls. I'm not going to stop working for Joe Biden until Election Day. So even though Joe is shown as a as a lead in all the polls in Michigan, this uh, representative, Debbie Dingell, who is from Michigan and a House of Representatives from Michigan, is not so sure yet. So that worries me a little bit when I read that today. Wasn't overly happy on reading that. 
Uh, I was trying to tell you that I'm having fears and well, also, okay. So you know how I was saying how I've got GOP opposition people practically screaming in my ear. You know what they're saying, right. Scott? Let's just let us go there. They're basically telling me it's like that scene in Lord of the Rings where he says we must join with Sauron, Gandalf. <laughs> like we must accept defeat here. I have GOP voices screaming in my ear telling me that Biden is going to lose in a historic landslide that the polling you're seeing is a total illusion and it's going to be like 2016 all over again and we're going to wake up on election day and basically look around and be like, what the hell happened? So we do have to prepare ourselves for the fact that whether legitimately or through crazy cheating and protracted legal battle that may make its way all the way up to the Supreme Court, Trump may cling to power. That is an absolute real terrifying possibility here that we will have to endure the reality of a second Trump term. Yeah, I mean, I've I've said it all along since we started this. I think there's a very, um, I would say, minimum 25%, maximum 55% right now. We'll see what happens after this convention that Trump can win. So there's maybe over a 50% chance he could win. I think there's at least a 25% chance he could win. So it could be uh, be very scary. Um, if, I don't think, more surprises. I think, no more surprises. There I, can't be any more major gaps or major right. surprises or, like we were saying, the October surprise, it shakes it all up, man. Right. And and it's it's he's able to reframe things so well. I mean, the stock market today – is they the stock market is now above <clears throat> where it was earlier this year. I mean, all of the stock market that we lost is now back, and we've gained some. <clears throat> but the, the hidden story underneath it, if you just hear that, you think, oh, my God, we're coming back again. It's going great, right? The stock market is back. But if you don't read the real story, the real story is it's by six companies that are doing well, including Amazon, Apple, and a couple others. There's only six companies that have brought the stock market back to where the positive territory, everything else is slowly creeping up. But if you just listen to their narrative and you listen to the talking points, which the Republicans are so good at doing, it's like, look, President Trump has brought the stock market back already in record time. Well, yeah, it is back and it is higher year to date than it has been, but it's because People have been making money in this pandemic. They've been buying stock. They've been these corporations have been using the downturn of the economy to play the losses and and make extra money out of it. And it's a lot of the service people that have been doing it. So it's there's he's going to be able to put some stuff out there that sounds really good until you examine it closely, and that's what gives him that advantage. You know what I'm going to counter that with? Mm -hmm. I'm ready to counter him already. Uh, Quoting from now this, more than 20 million Americans could lose their homes in September as stimulus money and relief options vanish and black and Latinx voters are most at risk. Right there, if if the wheels come off of the housing market and evictions and foreclosures get into full swing and you start to see a collapse with an eviction wave of that nature, that is going to hurt the incumbent president. Anything bad economy, collapsing jobs, homelessness, going the wrong way in financial numbers is always going to hurt the incumbent president. If he doesn't push his uh, leaders in the Senate to cut a deal, some type of major relief package, uh, and do something to prevent that, um, the financial disaster is going to wipe him out, I still think. 
Well, exactly. That's why that was one of his four executive orders, right? One was to stop evictions. And FHA just stopped us the other day till January. All of the federal loans, HUD and things like that, are the evictions are stopped till January. So there still could be some. Um, we'll see what happens, though. They, they, he was able to plug a hole in that for, for now until afterwards. Eventually, this bills are going to come due, though. And it's going to come due on the next presidency, whether it's his, Biden's, or whoever. This is that's going to be a serious problem. There are going to be a lot of people that will probably lose their houses over this, especially the way that he's handled this. But he's able to put these band aids over it, so it may not hurt him before election day. We'll see what happens. It could. It's going to hurt the next president, whoever it is. Because they can't hold it back forever, but it, it's a it's a serious going to be a serious situation when it comes to pass. You're right, 100 percent on that. If it happens sooner, he's in big trouble. If they're able to push it back to January, it's going to happen to whoever the next president is. It's going to be very very interesting. I think we- I think we also, uh, in 68 days, I mean, folks, we cannot take our eyes off the fact that there is already known foreign interference in process right now. We don't know the extent of it. It's still classified. We know that there's, you know, from the Intelligence Committee, confirmed something is happening with the names Russia, China, and Iran written all over it. I think it goes to say, as we were saying on our shows on Tuesday, the Biden camp is getting some unspoken support from the Chinese side. The Trump camp from the Russian side, Iran, I'm not so clear, but uh, I, I think <laughs> I wish that they could declassify it. Tell us something. Tell us that it's they're using Facebook. Tell us that they're using what they're doing specifically so that voters have that information in their mind before Election Day, because if they had known about the Russian interference before 2016, there could have been a different result. So if they withhold that information until after Election Day, and then it comes out that it's really, really, really bad, really blatant, something that we deserve to know, I'll be mad. I will be genuinely mad, Scott. Yeah, I mean, that's very true. But I I don't think there's much they can do besides the social media, right? What else can they do to affect the to affect the election part? Unless they're they're hacking voting booths, which I don't think is going to happen. Hacking mail, which isn't going to happen. There's not much they can do besides do propaganda and do all these bots through social media um, and through email and things like. If that's going to be the real problem with it, so that's what we have to look for here. I think that can very much be the case. But you're right. I'd like to know what we're looking for. And I wish we would have heard it by now, but we have not. Um, but I think there's not much they can do besides uh, advertising-wise, advertising space. I mean, I'm still upset. Trump is still on the front page of every YouTube. Been a week. I mean, I hope Biden starts playing the better game on the digital advertising. Trump has been the very top of any time you log into YouTube for now seven days. And it's just embarrassing that I have to see that every time I look into it. Um, I hope that it stops after the la- this last day of the convention. But he may have the money to keep doing it. I hope Biden finds a way to to do, to use digital advertising successfully. Because I think this was probably very successful for them being on the top page of YouTube for a week straight. I know we're just about out of time here, but the one concession that we as news guys do need to make 
not everyone is paying as much attention to the news. The viewership of these two conventions overall is down, and so people may not see entire speeches. They may not be tuning into the punditry on the networks that we watch. They may be getting their news from Facebook or from other sources, and they may be getting it in short pieces. So if they only get, if you only get a few seconds of their time, and they take away something that says that Trump had a victory here, and it isn't fact check and it's not true. I mean, God love Twitter for having started recently the trend of actually fact checking and labeling Trump's tweets. I really appreciate that, but. Not everyone is getting news from the same place, and the spin is just ridiculous on the other side of the fence, the Breitbarts, the Infowars, the Fox News, although some of them are really surprisingly making a lot of sense right now, and that's what freaks me out. Like I said before, Scott, that's what makes me believe that Trump is really, really bad when Fox News says it. (laughs) Right, exactly right. All right, well, we got to wrap this up. I do want to finish it. I I don't know why I didn't know this. I feel stupid that I didn't know this. But remember how we were talking about that Kaylee McEnany explosion the other day when she was on, on what was it, Tuesday maybe, or Monday night she was on, whatever night she was on with Donald Jr. Donald Jr.'s girlfriend that was just like sounding like a crazy person. Remember her? Oh, I did yes, not yes, know Kimberly, until, Kimberly, Kimberly. Yeah, yeah, Kimberly, that's it, Kimberly. Kimberly Gulfoil, or however you pronounce her last name. I feel like an idiot for not knowing this, and I don't, know how I did not know it, but I just found out today she is Gavin Newsom's ex-wife, the very progressive governor of California. I was like hit by a two by four when I found that out. That was amazing to me. So uh, yeah, crazy, crazy stuff. So even I feel like I, I feel Democrats like I just took one of those surveys. Too. How how old were you when you found out that Kimberly Gofoil was Gavin Newsom's ex? Exactly. Uh, I was 42. Today years old. I was 42, today and it was old. August the whatever today is. <laughs> right. All right. Well, Brandon, we will see you next Tuesday. Thank you much for everything this week. Have a great rest of the weekend. Let them know where they can find you, my friend. I am the host, well, one of the hosts. We have about 10 hosts on KBC News Radio here on Monday through Friday and brandoncarmody.com, which I updated last night and made very user-friendly. Please check it out. There you go. All right, we're going to play out. Only 68 days left, so we'll play a little Matt Van Foss and Time Ain't What It Used To Be. That's for dang sure. We'll be back tomorrow at 5 o'clock Pacific, 8 o'clock Eastern Time on Last 100 Days Podcast. Eternity.